Good to see everyone is here this morning. I know we are still in the, we're rounding down on the vacation season, I'm sure, that, and I know there are a number of folks that are away. Um, let's remember them as they're traveling, keep them in our prayers. But we're glad you're here. And if we have visitors this morning, I'm not sure if we do, but if we do, we welcome you. We want you to come back and be with us. And uh, indeed, we we hope that we make you feel welcome and you'll want to do just that. We've had quite a few visitors lately and uh, there may be some that are in this audience this morning. But uh, to those that are members here, let's continue to reach out. It makes an impression uh, on these folks and uh, we want to we want to make sure they feel good about being here. Speaking of that, I'm going to, I decided to pull a west this morning and kind of veer away from what uh, I had planned to preach, but uh, I thought I'd talk about our meeting. Um, and I'm entitling the lesson, Come and See, you'll note, you'll note why in uh, just a few minutes. But we are having a tent meeting with Dan Kane, and that'll be coming up shortly, and so I want to talk about it this morning. And uh, as we begin to talk about it, let me put up uh, Wes's picture and uh, note something Wes said last week. Wes said, as he introduced his lesson, before he started it, he gave an announcement. He said, and in my best Wes voice, I'll try to do that, right out there, he said, as he pointed to the front lawn, on September 10th, we're going to have a tent meeting, and it's a big deal. So I want to reiterate that this morning. It is a big deal. We are going to have a tent meeting, and it's a little different from what we've done before. And when we say tent meeting, those of you that are maybe older, this is an old-fashioned tent meeting in the sense that we're going to have it outside. It is going to be a tent, literally a canopy out there. Um, The whole neighborhood will see it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Be able to hear it because we'll have uh, the PA system going and so forth. But we're going to meet out there, and we're going to talk about some very important things. It will be Saturday afternoon, so please note that on your calendars, and I wish that uh, you really will note it on your calendars. It will be September the 10th, and that's two weeks from yesterday, so it's getting here very fast. It's going to be from 4 to 6 p.m. Now, there are cards out on the foyer, or on the table in the foyer, and you'll note that there are two sessions, one at 4 and one again at 5, and the thing will last from 4 to 6 p.m. Dan Kane of Boston uh, is going to come up, and he does a number of these kinds of things where he meets with people that are not really members normally and, uh, you know, discusses subjects that are on their minds, like TJ said earlier, questions that people have, etc. Our emphasis then is to reach out to those who had these questions and sincerely want answers. There are quite a few people out there with them. So, here are the two questions. Why is there so much suffering? And there is. Given our modern age and technology we have, we're not like maybe our forefathers who were closed off from the world and didn't realize everything that was going on in the world. We hear about it every day. In every corner of the world there is suffering. And there are people out there who genuinely question if there's so much suffering, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? I mean, there needs to be a good answer for that. And so Dan is going to explore that, talk a little bit about it, and then obviously allow questions about it. Other people, many people, and perhaps some of, like mine, family members, friends that you know, etc., they would look at themselves and say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not an evil person. I don't try to hurt other people. 
I do the best I can in life. I'm a pretty good person. Is that enough? If there is a God and he is going to have a judgment day, as we commonly call it, well, when God judges me, will he look at me and see that I'm a pretty good person, and will that be enough? That's a good question to explore, and Dan will do that as well. So, people might say, I have questions. I want answers. I want real, legitimate answers to these sincere questions that I have. So in this, and I'll reiterate it one more time, Brother Cain will address each of these Frequently asked questions. At the 4 o'clock session, why is there so much suffering? Again, at the 5 o'clock session, I'm a pretty good person. Is that enough? And, as I've already said, but I will again, there will be an opportunity. He'll give about a 30-minute lecture. And then for the remainder of that time, in in each session, there will be an opportunity to submit questions following each of these lectures. So if things are on, if you know people and have got things on their mind... You know, ensure them that they can certainly submit that question and whatever they particularly want addressed, he will do his best to address that. So, September 10th, 4 to 6 p.m., Dan Kane, our tent meeting out there, it's a big deal, okay? So let's talk a little bit further about it. Why are we having this tent meeting? Well, obviously, we've just said there's some important questions, but we want to reach out to people. And there are a lot of people out there that are not members, obviously, of this church. I mean, we are in a sea of people, millions, literally, around here in our circle of influence. Millions of people, so many questions, wanting answers, legitimately needing answers, or they feel they do. And they're not people who just don't care. They're not people who never question. Perhaps you've been in conversations with people. And they have questions. They're genuine. The Bible has answers. I was talking to someone just a few days ago, and I stressed that point. I hear you, and I hear the questions you're asking. I understand those questions, and I really do. Like a lot of you, you know my story. You know I came from a background kind of rough. And when I was living in those years full of anger over my home situation, etc., etc., doing all those things I was doing, a lot of suffering. And it made me question God. Is there a God? At times, I didn't believe there was a God. And I certainly didn't believe, you know, this Bible that I really didn't know anything about, but I'd seen it in my home, you know, in the homes, different ones that I lived in and grew up in. But I didn't see people really following the Bible. Oh, they said they believed in God, and they believed in the Bible, But they didn't really live lives that I thought would reflect any kind of idea of Christianity that I was familiar with. And so it made me question the the reality, the legitimacy of the whole thing. Is there really a God? There are people out there with hard questions. If there's a God and there's Christianity and you claim to be part of it, why do you live the life you live? Why do so many people I know live the life they do? Why does there have to be all of this... Just just this hard stuff in life. There are genuine questions. People have questions, hard questions. And what we also need to understand is, not only does the Bible have answers, but Jesus is the answer. I said to someone the other day, and I meant it, and we talked about it. I said, I know this is probably going to anger you when I answer. You're asking me all of this And we're going to get into those answers. 
And we can get into the Bible and we can get into those answers. And this is probably going to anger you because it's too simplistic. But Jesus is the answer. There's a song that was very popular 30 years ago, and some of you may know it. Jesus is the answer for the world today. It's as simple as that. When I look at the hardest questions in life, when I struggle with the hardest things in life, and I still have them, I have hard questions, and some of them are going to have to wait to be answered till the world is done, and maybe we're in heaven. And there are other questions that I know what the Bible has to say, and frankly, excuse me, maybe I get all... I get all choked up at thinking about it. Frankly, they're difficult answers. But when I think through all of that, and I come back to asking, what is the answer? Jesus is the answer. I've said to people, and I hope you understand what I'm about to say, but I think it's a very viable answer to the struggles that people go through, the questions they have. I said there have been times when I questioned the whole thing. I questioned Christianity and I questioned everything that we're doing. And I asked myself, are you sure you're right? And it's not that I was losing my faith. It's just that I'm not one prone to, you know, just accepting something and not ever thinking about it. Just be blind to it. I'm not that kind of person. And when I go through that whole process, when I think through those things, when it's late at night and I'm sitting there, Montel and Jules have gone to bed, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I'm going through all of that, I always come back to Jesus. Edward gave a great talk before the Lord's Supper this morning. It was great. And if you were listening to it, you're listening to how different Jesus is from the way I would be. Because I can get fed up with people. And I can get just tired of the way people do. And I can hurt because of what other people do. And yet, Jesus, going through all of that, still did what He did. Jesus is the answer. And the more people understand who Jesus is, the more they're willing to go to the Word of God and see Jesus for who He really is, the more they're going to understand that the world desperately needs Him. He is the answer. And that's why we have such a meeting as this. We know people have questions. We know there are answers. We know that Jesus is the answer to what the world is desperately needing. And that's why we have such a meeting. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, and you may know this verse by heart, you may want to turn there and look at it. But the Bible directs us to be ready, to be willing, to be able, is what the word literally means, to be ready to give an answer. Now the word answer there is really almost like a, a legal argument. But to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. I want you to think about that for a moment. I'm a Christian. I live every day, literally, with an understanding that I will either die or Jesus will return and there will be a judgment day. That I will stand before Jesus and based on what I do in my life 
and have done with my life. I will go either to an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. Now, I have an expectation that is hope. I have an expectation that that is so. That death is not the end of things. Really just the beginning of the longest part of my existence. And that if Jesus returns today, and if it's all over today, it's what it was all about. I need to be ready, willing, able to give an argument, and in the sense of a defense, a legal argument, just like a a case that a lawyer might plead. I need to understand my situation, the world's situation, well enough to give that answer. Now, a person might say, well, I don't know all of that. I'm not there. That's why we have the meeting. That's why we say to a person, if you're struggling with that, be there. Listen to someone talk about that kind of thing. Ask those questions you have. If your brother, sister, mother, father, cousin, aunt, uncle, if your friends, your next door neighbor, the people you work with, have those same kind of questions, and you don't feel as though you can really give an adequate answer, then bring them. Be willing for them to be here and to hear those questions explored. We're not afraid of those questions. A long time ago, I had an atheist call into a radio program I had for a number of years. And, you know, on the air, he just challenged me to give some answers to, you know, some explanations of some of the things I was saying. And he said, but I know you won't because you're afraid to do that. Now, you know me. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm afraid. I said, I'm not afraid. Let's meet. And we did publicly. And we talked about it. And we looked at these hard questions. And I allowed people from the audience to ask me whatever they wanted to ask me. And did my best to answer it. We are not afraid of the questions. Because we have them too. We're just like everybody else. We may have more understanding because we've studied more or learned more. Or we've tried longer to explore the answers. But we have them too. And we need to be able to give that to other people. And that's why we have such a meeting. I'm impressed in the Old Testament especially. And I single out Isaiah 1 and verse 18 because it says it so simply. God says to his people, come and let us reason together. You ever noticed in the Old Testament, and we'll look at a passage tonight from Jeremiah 7. But have you ever noticed in the Old Testament especially how much, in in the New Testament, but in these prophets, how much God reasons with his people. It's as much as if saying, hey guys, come here. Let's talk about this thing. And he begins to explore the, you know, how they think. And how they should feel. What they should think about. He doesn't just level down commandments. I think people have a, a bad impression of the Bible. And they think in terms of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt and thou shalt not. I know I did. And I know I said to Dale, I am not going to live my life being told what I can and I cannot do. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. There is so much more in the Bible. So much more. And God is not a God. He could be. He has the right to be. To say, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms and you're going to do it or else. He could say it like that. But he doesn't. He reasons with us. And he asks us to reason. That's why we have this kind of meeting. 
Because it is a meeting about reason. And you know, brethren have met. I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me. And I'm just going to read. It's been about the next four or five minutes. And we're just going to read some short passages. But brethren have met together for this kind of purpose. Now, what kind of purpose am I talking about? Not just the acts of worship. In the sense of the Lord's Supper and the giving and the singing. But brethren have also come together, met together, to do the reasoning. To ask the questions and explore the answers. The very thing we're doing out here on the front lawn in 13 days. They've come together, they've met together to do this kind of thing. And there's going to be a term that's common to all of these passages I'm putting up here. And we're going to talk about it for a moment. But first of all, let's start in Acts chapter 17. Now this is where Paul goes into Thessalonica. And as is common, when he goes into Thessalonica, he goes to the synagogues. And you know that from your reading, that Paul would go into the synagogues and he would meet with his fellow countrymen, the Jews. But if you'll notice down in verse 2 beginning, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them for three Sabbath days, three weeks, he met on Saturday. And notice the term, he reasoned with them out of the scripture. There's a term there in the original language from which we literally get, letter for letter, we get the word dialogue. And we all understand what dialogue is, don't we? Dialogue can be heated. Dialogue can be (coughs) very structured. Dialogue can be very unstructured. But in this case, Paul in a very structured way is opening a dialogue with these Jews and he is reasoning with them from the Scriptures. Notice as it goes on in verse 3. Opening and alleging. That Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. Now, why would he be doing that? Because that was not their concept of Jesus. The Jews had a concept of, I say of Jesus, of Christ. The Jews had a concept of the Messiah that he was going to come charging in on a white horse and be some kind of great glorified military leader and he was going to put down Rome and conquer the nations of the world and the Jewish kingdom would just explode and rule the world. And that's not what Jesus ever intended to do. It was not God's plan. And so Paul goes back to the Old Testament Scriptures and in a very straightforward but kind way is reasoning with them, guys, you've got it wrong. And what he's saying is, I had it wrong. You know, I had to learn differently, learn better. And so he's opening up the scripture just like we will do. And just like we will create a dialogue with people and talk to them, Paul is doing that in Thessalonica. And he preached unto them Christ. And some of them, of course, believe, verse 4, and consorted with Paul and Silas. Now, you know what that means? What I hope happens out here, they talked further. You know, what may happen, what may very literally happen, if you guys get involved in this meeting and you take one of those cards out there and you give it to a friend or a relative or somebody and you say, come and see. You know, come to this tent meeting, see what's going on, listen to what's being said, ask the questions you've got. They may hear something. They may spark something in their mind. And they may talk further. And that will be exactly what we're after. Go over with me, if you will, to another passage and see in Acts 15. And we'll go back a couple of pages. They had questions. 
Now, you know, this all was brand new. What does it mean? What is Christianity? Do we add it to the law of Moses? Do we have some kind of Christianized Judaism? Is that what we're supposed to have? It was a great question in that day. It had not been settled. And if you notice in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. And here we would be talking about, you know, brethren that misunderstood. And so they're disagreeing. And when you disagree, this is what you do. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders, notice, about this question. And if you read the verses that follow, the exact same thing we saw a couple of pages over in Thessalonica, brethren will do this among themselves. They will open a dialogue and they will reason. And you'll see that idea in the rest of chapter 15. Go over with me to chapter 19. Again, and this is one I think Wes, you read this I think last Sunday. But anyway, Acts chapter 19 and go down to verse 8. He went into the synagogue, he being Paul again, and spoke boldly for the space of three months. Notice the, the, the language here, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And various people were hardened. Not everyone is going to listen. And some did not believe, but they spoke evil of that way, as Wes was talking about. And they departed from them and separated the disciples. And so, Paul went into the school of Tyrannus and continued in this dialogue. Notice verse 10. This continued by the space of two years, so that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Here's the idea of brethren not accepting just because someone doesn't believe. Some people turn against it, not accepting that and going on. And Paul continues on about three years here doing the same thing. And this is not just, as we would say, and I want you to understand that, we tend to use the term preaching, and we will even talk about what is, you know, what you need to do in preaching and what you don't need to do in preaching. And there are whole courses in schools like I went to on the idea of the benefits of positive preaching and the negative, you know, the negatives that go with certain kinds of preaching. But I want you to understand, brethren met, and they opened a dialogue with people. And they discussed these things, and they reasoned these things. And, as I used to say in school, they gave the benefit of the doubt to the other guy that he's got the, the ability to reason. I don't need to come up here and talk down to you as though you're beneath me, you're not as educated as I am, and there are certain things I need to, you know, as somebody accuses, hold back and not give you the whole picture. I don't need to do that. Because I understand you have a God-given ability to reason. What I need to do is I need to open the Bible with you, and we need to talk about it. And if you've got some questions, and you even know you have some hard questions, you need to ask them. And I need to do the best I can to answer them. And so do you. And that's the way you arrive at the truth. Notice again in Acts 20, and let someone think, you know, that, well, okay, this thing is fine in its place, but you don't do this in a church service. Oh, yeah, you do. In Acts chapter 20, we see exactly that. And if you'll notice down in verse 7, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, just like we've done this morning, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. And, of course, there were many lights in the upper chamber, and he goes on here. And there sat in the window, notice verse 9, a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen in a deep sleep, as Paul was long preaching, 
He sunk down with sleep, fell down from the third loft, he was taken up dead. You know what you see in this passage? You see a normal meeting where a long-winded preacher you know, gets up and begins to preach. But you know what the term there is? He reasoned. He opened a dialogue with them. Paul was teaching these people. It wasn't just a lot of fluff, you know, a lot of nice stories and make people feel good and not really give them any substance. No, Paul was exploring some of the deeper things, the harder things. And that's what we see in all of these passages. You've got friends. You've got relatives. They have questions. They want answers. That's why we have such a tent meeting. Our tent meeting will be successful, and this is such an important point. I want to stress this before I close. It will be successful if each of us does what we can to make it successful. Now, I know that, God willing, I'll be there. And I know a number of you will be there. And there won't be anything, there'll be nothing that'll get in your way. You'll say, if this is what the church is doing, I'm going to be there. Because anything we do, that's what you do. And we could sit down here and we could write out a list of a certain number of people and we could say, those people will be there. But the meeting won't be successful if that's all that's there. There will be a hundred plus chairs out there under a tent. And I promise you the lady that lives in the first house across the street, because I know her, she'll be watching. And the two women that live in this house that are not religious, I know them. And they'll be watching. And the people that live two houses down, that live almost directly behind me, a young couple with two young kids, they're good people. But they're not religious people. And they're always outside, and there's hardly a Saturday when them or the next-door neighbor are not outside. And I mean right at my backyard, so I know they'll be listening. That's why Wes said the neighbors will be watching. They will be. People live across the street, the guy that owns the store over here. I mean, people will be watching. And what we don't want is to give an impression in this community that there's only a handful of us that really care about what we're doing here. I mean, you're here every Sunday, most of you. And it's important to you. Make this a successful meeting. Let the community know that we're here We care about these questions that undoubtedly they have. And we're trying to explore the answers to these questions. That's the impression we want to give. Pick up somebody. Bring them with you. In John chapter 1, and I'm not going to turn to that passage I did recently, but you can go home and look at this. Let me tell you the story in John 1, and you know it. John the Baptist was out preaching before Jesus began, before he went public. And John is preparing the way of Jesus. And John has a number of students, of followers, disciples. And John kind of concludes his main message, that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and John basically points to him and said, that's the guy, go to him. Well, two of his disciples did go to him. And one of them was Andrew. And Andrew went and found the the apostle that so many people know, and that's Peter. And Peter apparently was not a disciple. And like we've talked about on Sunday nights as we've looked at the character of Peter, Andrew went to him and he said, we found him. We found the Messiah. 
And Peter is like, eh, I don't know. Come and see. And that's really all you're trying to do. You're taking one of these cards that's out there and you're going to a friend or a relative and you're saying to them, you know, we're going to look at some answers to some very difficult questions. You ever thought about this question or that question? And they have. You can rest assured that, you know, whatever number out of 100, a lot have thought about those questions. And maybe they're saying, I don't know if there are answers. Just come and see. Well, I don't know about this or I don't know about that. Come and see. You know, the point of this meeting is you need to come. You need to see what's going on. You need to hear us talk about these various things. And more than that, you need to ask the question. And if you've got hard questions, if you've got questions that have bothered you, that have perhaps kept you from making a commitment to God, then you certainly want to come and ask that question. We need to hear it. We need to look at it. It'll be a successful meeting if we do that. Let's make it a successful meeting. Let's be here. Let's invite somebody to come. Now, those are the two things you can do, and it will be successful if you do. If just the people in this room commit to be there in 13 days, it'll be successful. If you bring just one person, nobody is saying, try to go out here and lead a crusade and have a thousand people on the front lawn. That'd be great, but we're not saying that. Go to one person you know well. Commit to one person that you've had these kinds of discussions with. Hand them a card in fact, even be willing to pick them up. You know, the, when I was long time ago studying all of this kind of thing, they used to say, if you want somebody to join anything, now ultimately what we would love to have is somebody be converted and be part of us, wouldn't we? If you want someone to join an organization, and that can be a church, it can be a club, it can be a civic group, whatever it is, The number one way that you get somebody to ultimately be a member, it starts with you inviting them to a meeting. But go a step further. Because statistics will tell you, you could take 25 or 50 or whatever number of cards. We're not asking you to do that. In fact, we're encouraging this time that that not be the way you approach it. But statistics would say you could pick up 50 cards and you could lay them out there to 50 people and you would be lucky if you got one to come. That's just statistics. If you go further and you begin to talk to them personally of how important you believe it is for you, those statistics go up. If you include them and how important it is for us, those statistics grow up. They go up. But if you want to ensure that Joe or Mary or whoever will be at that meeting, you say, Joe, like for you to go to a meeting with me. We're going to talk about some hard questions. What are they? What are you doing? You tell him straight out exactly what's going on. And you say, if I came by and picked you up, would you go with me? Statistics drastically go up for the ones you'll get at the meeting. And those are usually the ones that end up, in the long run, making the commitment. Pick up somebody and bring them with you. If you do that, if just a number of people here did that, we will have a successful meeting. 
people in the neighborhood will say, hey, what's going on over there? And maybe even they will listen. But we will have a successful meeting. Pick up somebody and bring them with you. Like Wes says, we need to be here. Our friends, our family, those we invite, the neighborhood, because it's going to be outside. This is a big deal. And I can't stress that enough. Wes is exactly right. It's a big deal. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Jesus is the answer. And if you believe that, you know He is the Son of God. You know He has the answers, not just for the world, but for your life. And this morning you'll confess your belief in it. This morning you'll say, I'm, I want to change my life, and I'm willing to try. I'm willing to do what it takes. And you'll be baptized to have your sins washed away and start a new life in Jesus Christ. And we beg you to come. If you're here this morning and you've done that and you've made that commitment and you look at your life and you say, you know what, I need to recommit. My life is just not what it needs to be. Like T.J. was saying earlier, or Edward was saying earlier, Jesus looked out at a world of people just like you. People that would fail, people that he knew would struggle, even like the Apostle Peter. And Jesus knew that if he did what he could do, in the end, those people would be saved. He was talking to you. He was dying for you. If you need to come back to the Lord, please come while we stand and sing.